Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SFM. On the viewpoint. Good evening, Mr. Nevo Harris, partner at DYDX, a digital transformation company. We're obviously in conversation with you this evening because we need to talk about something which makes a lot of senior employees somewhat uncomfortable. Engaging technology and how companies themselves are not necessarily engaging and moving on with the times, especially now that COVID has forced, if you like, the agenda of working remotely, working from home, increasing use of technology, and all of that speaks favorably, for the most part anyway, to the fourth industrial revolution. Good evening together. How are you doing? Not too bad, thanks. How are you? Very good, thanks. Yeah, you've heard what I've said. Your response to that? Yes. I, I think it's, it's, it's spot on. Um, what we've seen is a massive shift and a very rapid shift for companies and, and I think for society to move into a work from home or a work remote work kind of phase of, um, of the office, of the working environment. And it's caught a lot of companies and, and especially managers and leaders in, in a very uncomfortable position because they have no skills and haven't been trained in how to kind of manage people and lead people that aren't at the office or they can't see. And, and I think it has. It has impacted many businesses, as you said. What typically then should be the process or protocol that companies enjoy? I mean, on the 25th of March, people were in their offices. On the 26th of March, people were forced to be at home. And both of these days were working days. How much of my own personal equipment is supposed to now suddenly be work equipment? What responsibilities does the employer have to provide me with this infrastructure at home? And I understand it could be pretty costly. I mean, for instance, I'm a lawyer. If we're working in a legal environment, the turnover for paper is astronomical. You need a printer. Sometimes you need a color printer when you engage graphs and color diagrams and pictures and all of that. So now the employer equally wouldn't want to be making so much expenditure. So I suppose then the question is, what balance, if any, can be struck between the expenses in relation to fulfilling one's obligations to the employer and employee are taken and by whom? I think that's, that's a great example. And I'm, I'm going to first deal with the example, then I think we're going to answer the question of who takes on this cost and what does the future of work look like from an employer-employee relationship. Your comment about paper I find really intriguing. Um, we have a lot of solutions in the office, things that we use and that we do every day that are actually solving a problem that doesn't really exist so much in a digitized world. So, for example, the issue of printing. Uh, one of our clients uh, was uh, working quite effectively as, and actually, funny enough, running radio stations um, where they have a trafficking department who needed printer desperately. This was a key requirement of this traffic department that they all sat together in the office and had printouts to see which ads are running where what was paying where to, to pay for the critical requirement, just like for you as a lawyer, until they were forced out of the office. And suddenly, two days later, paper wasn't a critical requirement mm. because they had worked out ways to work without paper and everything was digital. So similar thing to the legal uh, profession, the idea of a physically signed contract will shift more and more to a digitally signed contract. And those concepts will be more and more accepted, as I think they are now. 
So, so what you find is this requirement for paper that we had before was more out of habits that we had and we've developed uh, growing up in an office-based environment. And when we moved out of the office, suddenly we find new solutions that get rid of those, those problems. Um, what that means from an employer, employee, and who, who brings whose costs is it to bear for home offices and all, all those kind of things. What you see is generally a progression, especially for, for more digital-first or remote-first companies, whereby... The, the traditional structure of an employment contract, which is a nine to five, you'll be at the office at nine, mm-hmm. you'll go home at five, and you know that time between those two periods belongs to me, the employer. Yes, that really starts shifting away because suddenly, I don't know if you're at your desk from nine to five, and I lose control over that period of time because before, specifically in industrial age, where a lot of our contractual and behavioral components came out of this sense of geographic proximity. And location was what ruled the work environment. And I wanted everyone in the office at once so I could control and they could communicate and do everything they need to do. But now that I can't see you and you could be anywhere, I had to move as an employer and as a manager to output-based performance. I had to see what you're actually achieving. And once I start moving towards output-based performance, I was realizing, well, I don't actually care how many hours you work and whether you're working 9 to 5 or... 10 to 4 or 10 to 7 p.m. or 6 a.m. Like all those things don't make a difference anymore as long as the job is done and done well. And that dramatically breaks this whole idea of employment is about you being there from 9 to 5. So now you're no longer there from 9 to 5. You're out of base, which means that people start moving towards flexible employment and flexi time. And I think the exciting thing for employees is they get, they should get, not Corona, I think it's been a slightly different environment, but they should get more of their life back. They should get more control over what they do with their days, yet still be employed and still be able to produce uh, for an office environment or for an, for an employer. On that, still, it does assume certain things, and some of those things which were not necessarily part of the discussion certainly now are a forced reality. The elder folk, if you like, It's enough for them to open a laptop, press that button, the computer's going to start. They click on their Outlook and they click on Microsoft Word and whatever system they use, and that for them is as much training they, for the most part, would have needed in interfacing with the infrastructure for the purposes of them doing their work. And if there's a problem, they simply call IT and say it's making that funny noise again. All of that is taken away yeah. because one has to work on this computer at home. There are Zoom meetings, there are Skype meetings or MS Teams. They are forced to be very conversant, so to speak, with this technological material, which they didn't have to three months ago and have had to simply have a crash course and learn as one moves. Talking about that now and the challenges this poses to the workplace and, again, whose responsibility is it? I, I would assume I have to take the initiative, surely, at some point. But at the end of the day, it can't be costing me money to perform my work, which for the most part was supposed to be something in the office environment, traditionally the province of the employer. So, so I, think, I think there you've got a very, a very good point, that this transition from the way the work was, especially over COVID, to this rapid new world is, in, in my mind especially, an employer's responsibility. Now, if you've come into the, the contract and you're already in a flexible time or a remote worker, that's one thing because you've got your own laptops, you've got your own equipment, you pay for your own costs, and, and that's part of your, your agreement with your employer. But if you're a traditional employee and you're seeing the shift, then definitely it's actually an employer's interest to help you transition in many ways 
to this new world. Yes. We've recently been doing a whole range of assessments for, for companies uh, to see just how, and we break into two concepts. There's one is company remote readiness, and the other one is team, uh, team remote working maturity. To get a sense of, you know, are the companies ready for their people to work remotely? In other words, if, if somebody has a laptop, then it's, it's great. They can take it home. But a lot of companies don't have laptops. They have, you know, set-offs. They have PCs. In which case, those companies, you know, you can't do your job from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those companies can't even transition effectively into remote working. But, but in all those companies and all those environments, for the company to be more effective in the future and for them to be able to, to actually get the benefits of remote working, they need to invest in training their staff, their people, you know, from the bottom all the way to the top in how to adapt to this new way of working. And it's interesting because a lot of this training, a lot, especially for, for senior managers, is about loss. Mm. It's about what, what behaviors have they lost? What have they lost by moving into this remote work? You know, you no longer walk into your office. People say, hey, boss. You know, you don't, don't have that sense of comfort of people around you. Um, your way of management, you know, isn't there anymore. So, so there's a big sense of loss for managers, as much as for employees, in this whole transition. Final question, because this has now taken me to, I'm thinking as you're speaking, fourth industrial revolution. South Africa was talking about it quite a lot leading up to COVID and suddenly we haven't heard about it in a while. Job threats, job security, the advent of technology, we now know we can, in many respects, continue running an economy working off-site. Well, does this then simply not accelerate or should not accelerate the fourth industrial revolution agenda altogether? It 100% accelerates the fourth industrial revolution agenda, guaranteed. Uh, a lot of companies uh, that we've worked with were debating whether there should, they should or shouldn't be kind of you know, allowing work from home. How do they allow work from home? Having big debates until COVID happened and then they started working from home. Well, the decision and was made. That, yeah, and then that debate ended and then they're already in that space. And that's already brings into that fourth industrial revolution. And from a jobs perspective, I think there's two ways to look at it. Um, the one, the one element is that you can see yourself in a world whereby to have a high-paying job or to have a, a good job, if you are fortunate enough to be in the IT sector or in a remote working sector or a knowledge worker, you don't have to live in a big city anymore. You can live in small cities. Hmm, North and South appealing. African companies, yeah, w- which is a massive trend, right? I mean, that, that is what, you know, Facebook, even from the top global companies, even to local companies, even in our own business, we've had some of our, our team members saying, oh, I'm going to go live on the farm for three, three months, and, which is fine. It doesn't make a difference, right? Um, but what's interesting for me is that what it allows South African companies to do, if we look at the, the glass half full, is to compete globally without needing to have offices all around the world. Suddenly, it's acceptable for you to not be there face-to-face with a customer and to still provide them services and still sell them services and to still you know, sell them products. And that ability to suddenly say, wait a minute, I don't need to have an office in Europe and in London and in New Zealand everywhere else to be a global business will help a lot of companies hopefully shift out of this mindset of that's the cost of, you know, that's such a, a big capital cost of expansion to realize they don't need those capital costs to expand. And that could boost South African jobs. It would also bring, hopefully, a lot of employment demand to South Africa, where we still have lower costs of employees compared to the global employees, but very high, very strong capital, very Mm. smart people. So, so yes, there's the risk, but but I think there's also lots of opportunities if if people are really willing to to grasp them and to, to see the glass as half full. 
sounds like there's more opportunity than there might be lost opportunity in this entire enterprise. Neville, thank you so much for your time, brother. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Certainly, you too. 2118, measuring a company's digital maturity. That was a conversation with Mr. Neville Hudders, who's a partner at DYDX, a digital transformation company. Belated African narrative, hashtag African narrative. Ms. Abigail Dawson, communications and media officer, consortium for refugees and migrants in South Africa. A discussion as to what we do in South Africa in relation to refugees. This in the context of 20th of June was World Refugee Day. Please stay tuned.